If you would <clears throat> turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. <coughs> 1 Peter is toward the back of your Bibles, toward the far right. As I mentioned last week, we're going to be taking a short break from the Gospel of John this week and next week to dwell upon some themes related to the Christmas season. This week we're going to look at a passage in 1 Peter that gives for us a sense of expectation of the birth of our Lord. Then next week we'll turn to a passage in Matthew and look at the name that our Savior has been given. And so if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. I'm going to start our text this morning in verse 3 of chapter 1 with a focus this morning on verses 10 through 12. 1 Peter 1 beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels long to look. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us, that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would know him as our Savior, that we would love him and serve him. Fill our hearts with love for the Savior. Fill our mouths with his praise. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Christmas 
is not the beginning of the story. I know as we come to this season, we think of Christmas as the beginning of the story of Jesus. The beginning of the story of redemption. But the truth is that the story of God's redemption through Jesus Christ begins in the garden. Christmas was not an afterthought. It was not a last-ditch attempt by God to help mankind. The birth of Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of prophecy, the launching of the mission of salvation, and it was planned long before by the Lord. When we think about Jesus' birth, we should be filled with wonder, but we should not be surprised. This lack of surprise is not because the birth of our Savior is a common subject, but rather it is because we should know that our God always does what He says He will do. And so as we prepare to celebrate the birth of the Savior this Christmas season, we can see how Peter describes the wonder of waiting for Jesus. In our text this morning in 1 Peter 1, I would like us to see three things. First, we see Jesus predicted. Second, we see Jesus preached. And then third, we see Jesus praised. Jesus predicted, Jesus preached, and Jesus praised. Let's begin then by looking at the fact that the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ was predicted long before it occurred. The birth of Jesus was prepared by God. And we notice this as we come to our text, as we jump into the middle of 1 Peter 1. We're immediately drawn at the beginning of our passage concerning this salvation. We begin to think, what is this salvation? What salvation do you mean, Peter? And Peter does help us because just one verse earlier, in verse 9, he gives a summary of this salvation. It is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It is something that God has prepared and it is the outcome of what he has prepared as you are united to Christ by faith and experience Salvation. God is the preparer of this salvation. It has been known and prepared by God. We see this at the beginning of this chapter in verse 2. That Peter writes that he writes to the elect, those who are chosen, those who are called, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God knows those who are His. He has chosen them. He has brought salvation to them in the person of Christ. And that salvation is a substance that they have and can hold on to. It is an inheritance in verse 4. It's an inheritance that is sure. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is unlike anything else we experience on this earth. Everything else that we experience perishes fades away, and becomes defiled. All of the 
goods that we own, all of the food that we have, our homes, our cars, even our bodies themselves are fading away. They're perishing. But not the salvation of our God. It is kept, reserved in heaven for you. And yet, it is a present possession that we have. It is not something that we simply wait for. No, we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible because of what we have now, because we have obtained the outcome of our faith. All of this that Peter describes in 1 Peter 1, specifically verses 3 through 9, are this salvation that he's going to talk about to us. A salvation that comes to us from our Savior, Jesus. All of this is prepared by the direct purpose of God. It is specifically prepared with direction for you. Peter tells us that this is grace that was to be yours. God has designed this grace for you. It is not an accident that you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not an accident that you are here this morning. It is not an accident that you know of the birth of the Savior and you have believed on Him. And even if you are here this morning and don't know much about Jesus, that's not an accident either. The Lord our God has a purpose in His salvation. And so we might ask then that this salvation that was predicted and prepared by God, how does it come to us? How does this grace come to be ours? Well, Peter has given us some hints. First, in verse 3, he tells us that it comes to be ours through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. It is the work of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection that grace comes to us. This grace comes to be ours because it has been guarded by God's power in verse 4. It is kept for us by the power of God. And it is going to be revealed to us fully at the last time. But Peter clearly links this grace to Jesus. That's why we have the joy inexpressible in verse 8. It's why we obtain grace by believing in Jesus in verses 8 and 9. All of our life finds its answer and fulfillment in our being reunited with Christ at his return, as described in verse 7. So the obvious question then is, who is this Jesus? And how do we come to know him? Peter reminds us that God has told us from long ago. The prophets who prophesied about this grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So God used men, prophets, to tell us about the coming of this grace, the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What we need to understand is that the Christmas story is amazing. But it's not unforeseen. It's not something that was unpredictable. 
As a matter of fact, it was laid out for us in God's Word. God communicated to people just like us. That the Savior would come, bringing salvation to sinners. These prophets knew of the day that would come. They knew of the Messiah. They knew of redemption. And under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they wrote this down for you and for me. Not just for those of Peter's day, but for us. And if you understand from the scriptures how we get the Bible, the Bible comes to us, as the children's catechism says, Holy men who were born along by the Holy Spirit wrote the word of God. So men wrote the scriptures. The prophets wrote these prophecies as they were inspired by God himself. Now, sometimes we tend to think about the prophets as men who had all the answers. That they knew so much more than we did. That they're so much more blessed than we are. You know, we wish we could have been Isaiah and talked to God and heard all of the marvelous things about our Savior that Isaiah heard and relayed to us. We wish that we could be a prophet and know the future and know about the Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter says to you, no. No, you don't. You see, the prophets wanted to know what you experience right now. Do you see how he describes it? That they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. But when they did it, they searched and inquired carefully because they didn't know what person or time was indicated in their prophecies. They needed to learn. So they searched and they inquired. You can imagine Isaiah saying, I've got to look and see what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy. And how does this relate to what we see in the Psalms. And, and well, let me go back to the book of Genesis, trying to put the pieces together from his prophecy. You see, they didn't know what we know. They didn't have it all revealed to them. They prophesied of the one who was to come, but they didn't have all of the details. You know, I think of it as being kind of like this. Perhaps you've had the experience of writing handwritten notes to people. Whether it's a card you send in the mail or a post-it note you leave for your spouse. And and you handwrite the note, and yes, young people, in cursive. You handwrite it and you put it down. Or perhaps you're a person like me who makes notes in the margins of your books, comments, things you think about, etc. And someone brings that note or that margin note to your attention a month or two months or three months later and says, What did you mean by this? And you look at it and you say, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm having trouble reading my own writing. And I wrote it quickly, so it's kind of in shorthand. I'm just, I've got to look at this a little bit closer. I've got to search. I've got to inquire to figure out what this means. That's maybe a sense of how the prophets felt. They knew, but they didn't know fully. And that's important because, you see, they knew that the Savior and his story was the greatest story, the most important story. And so 
They thought about their own prophecies and those of others. They searched the scriptures seeking to find out all that they could. The word here that Peter uses to inquire means to plumb the depths. It means to make every effort. They're sparing no expense. They are searching. This is the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 2 to describe how the Spirit of God searches everything. They're trying to find out. And if we go back into the Scriptures, we will see it. Because the Scriptures reveal the Messiah to us. They tell us of the one to come. They tell us of the Savior. We can go all the way back to the garden in Genesis 3. Where God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophecy from the very first days of one who would come and who would put down Satan and death and sin at a cost. Now you say, but pastor, that's a lot to get out of that sentence. Well, yes, because we don't just have that sentence. We have all of the rest of the Bible, and we have all of the New Testament, and we have the history of what happened at the cross, and we can see now what was in a shadow, what was a glimpse. We understand it fully. Moses can write in Deuteronomy 18 that God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And we can see the Lord Jesus Christ in this. The prophet, we've been seeing it over and over again in the Gospel of John, haven't we? The whole ministry that Jesus has had is to declare God's will, to tell God's truth, to encourage God's people to repent and to believe in him as the one who was sent by God from their brethren. Fulfilling this prophecy. We can see it in Isaiah's prophecies over and over again. One of them was our call to worship in Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if we had an extra 45 minutes to be here together, we could spend time looking at how Jesus fulfills the name Wonderful Counselor, how He is the Mighty God, how He is the Everlasting Father, how He was in, how He was the Word and was with God in the beginning, and how He is the Prince of Peace that is fulfilled in Jesus. We even know where Jesus was to be born because the prophet Micah tells us in chapter 5, You, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are... Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth the one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So they had these glimpses. They had these prophetic utterances. But they did not know as we know. They wanted to know the person. They wanted to know the time. Jesus had been prophesied. But that was only the beginning. After all, Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us that even the prophets themselves were not made perfect apart from us. That it waited fulfillment 
in our day? Are you seeking Jesus as diligently as the prophets did? Do you want to know him more fully? The prophets did. They wanted to find everything they possibly could out about Jesus. They wanted to know him and love him and serve him. Does that describe your life? Don't be satisfied with a passing knowledge of Jesus. You know the generalities of the stories. You know the timeline in a vague way. No, seek to know the one who came as Savior in every way that he's revealed in God's word. Seek to know his loves, his commands, his words, his encouragements. Go to Jesus to find the one who brings salvation. Well, Peter then tells us that the story goes on. It's not just that Jesus was prophesied, but rather after he had come and was born, Jesus was preached. It's one thing to know the Savior is coming. It's another thing to have him appear. The prophets were not ministering to themselves, but to you. Yes, you. Now, what does that mean? It means they were setting the stage for something even greater. The birth of Jesus was not just an historical fact. Now, we might be tempted to view it through the lens of a remarkable prophecy that's been fulfilled. And I know this time of year that is often an apologetic method that Christians use. We simply want to prove that what was said of the coming Messiah was fulfilled. And we point to passages in Matthew and Luke that go back to the Old Testament that show the fulfillment of prophecy. But Peter says that the prophecies in the scriptures should make us all the more eager to hear more. Christmas is not just a fulfilled prophecy. It is a proclamation. The birth of Jesus has relevance today. Christmas is not just a warm and fuzzy feeling. It's not just an excuse for family to get together. It is not about gifts or meals or gatherings. Now those things aren't bad in themselves. But we cannot forget what Christmas is really about. Christmas is the breaking into the world of the good news. What the prophets predicted long ago is now here. There is no longer a searching into shadows and prophecies. There is an announcement that the Savior has come. Do you see how Peter equates prophecy with fulfillment? In verse 12, he says, The things that have now been announced to you through those who preached, those things are the things that were the prophet's aim. They are the grace that was to be yours. They are the things that they searched and inquired carefully about. What was announced was the good news of the gospel of salvation. Now, how does that good news come? It comes 
through the preaching of the gospel. When Peter writes, the good news, those who preached the good news to you, preach the good news is actually only one word in Greek. It's a word that you would be familiar with. Evangelize. It is to bring the good news. And Peter says that this good news, this gospel, is the story of Jesus. It is the story of the Savior who came to save sinners. And that story comes into full view with the birth of Christ. We cannot let Christmas become mere sentimentality. We cannot let it become just another happy holiday. We have to use this opportunity to have the gospel come into our hearts and to bring the gospel to others around us. There is perhaps no better time to tell others about the love of God. When someone asks, what do you mean by God loves? You can say, well, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God loved the world by sending his son into the world to become man, to redeem sinners from their sins. This is an opportunity that is before us easily. It's, there's no better time to talk about the miracle of grace. God's grace is so unfathomable, so miraculous, that the infinite took on flesh. That God himself came into creation. The Christmas story reminds us of the greatness and wisdom of God. It shows us when the love of God took on action. And that story is a story that we must tell others. That's what Peter means when he talks about preaching or giving the good news to others. It is to tell them what really is true about Christmas. We've all heard the cliches that Jesus is the reason for the season. And that's true. But we have to understand that the season means nothing without Jesus. The season of Christmas comes to us because God set his love on sinners and sent his son to redeem them. And Peter reminds us that this preaching comes from God himself. This is not a story that we have to tell that competes with other stories in the world. No, we know that the prophecy of the Old Testament comes from God. Peter told us that directly, that the spirit of Christ was the one who was indicating who and what time. The prophets were able to convey something beyond the knowledge they had. Because they were inspired by God himself. And so it is with the preaching of Jesus and his story. The preaching of the good news comes from the Holy Spirit. Peter again tells us directly in verse 12. Those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. Not in their own power. Not in themselves but through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Peter knew this firsthand. He experienced it at Pentecost. Paul knew this as well. He talked about how his gospel came in the power of the Holy Spirit. He said this to the Thessalonians. 
And if you know the good news of the gospel, then you know it also. You know the supernatural power of the gospel to change your life. Christmas is not just a story of Jesus come down from heaven to become a baby. No, it is the story of God reaching down to earth to gather a people to himself. It is the Holy Spirit who is sent from heaven to change the world forever through the good news of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And Christmas is the essential opening of this final act of redemption. It is by coming to earth and taking on flesh that our Lord Jesus Christ could obey the law of God, could live a perfect life, could obey where we did not. It's by taking on flesh that Jesus could go to the cross and pay the debt of our sin and to prove the victory of God by rising from the grave that death could not hold him. All of this depends and begins on Christmas. Without Christmas, we have no gospel. There is so much more to Jesus' life and ministry than Christmas, culminating in his resurrection. But it all starts with Christmas. Then Peter concludes with a reminder to us to be amazed at the story of Jesus. I've tried my best to tell you how marvelous and glorious the story of Jesus' birth is. We saw that the prophets themselves could not get enough of the story, that they were the writers of the story, but they still wanted more. We saw that the story is proclaimed throughout the world through preaching, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But now Peter gives us an astounding statement. He says, these are things into which the angels long to look. And the image here is remarkable. It's of angels stooping to look at something from the outside. It's actually, ironically, the same word that John uses at the end of his gospel to describe Peter outside the empty tomb. That he is stooping to look inside to see what is in there. So do you get the picture here? The angels, in all of their glory, in all of their might, in all of their radiance, they want to know what you know. For all their blessedness, they can never truly know and experience the gospel. They were not the objects of Jesus' mission. They don't know what it's like to be forgiven and adopted, but they want to know. They long to look into this. Do you see just how marvelous the Christmas story is? It's not just that the world was waiting for Jesus. It's not just that God told us through the prophets about the coming of Jesus. The angels themselves wanted to see the coming of Christ. That's why the heavenly host of angels broke out in praise. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Luke records for us in chapter 2. 
That's why the songs of Christmas are filled with angels. Hark the herald angels sing. Angels we have heard on high. Angels from the realms of glory. Glory to God in the highest. And glory to the newborn king. The angels themselves long to see and know the coming of Jesus. His birth is unlike anything that has ever happened or will happen in all of the universe. It is a single unique event in history. Do you have this sense of wonder from the Christmas story? Because you are called to praise God for His work of salvation just like the angels praise Him. In fact, even more. The angels praise God and they're not even the recipients of such grace. But Jesus came to earth and was born for you and for me. We are the objects of this wondrous grace. Go back to the very beginning of our passage in verse 10. Christmas is all about salvation through grace that was to be yours. And this is good news. Good news that you need. Good news that the world needs. Once upon a time, the world was waiting for Jesus. God told us that Jesus was coming. He predicted through the prophets and in His Word that He would send a Savior, Christ the Lord. But now, we know that Jesus has come. It is no longer a story that we wait to see, but a story that we shout from the rooftops. The Savior is born, born to set His people free, born to deliver us from sin, born to make us right with God. And that, brothers and sisters, is a story worth telling. Every day, not just at Christmas. Let's pray.